right, we're in Ruth tonight. <clears throat> As we get back to it, I want to finish up the one that we didn't finish up last time. We started, the book of Ruth starts with ruin. And uh, I'll read the first five verses very quickly. Uh, that's what we were finishing up with that. And I'll just kind of make some, the final comments and that will go into the next lesson. But it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. A certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Chilion, Ephraites of Bethlehem, Judah, and they came to the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons, and they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth, and they dwelled there about ten years. Uh, just in a little bit of review about the story of Ruth, we... Uh, talked about it being a life story, a love story, a historical story, and a spiritual story. It's a life story in that it reflects the decisions that face our everyday life. I mean, you really, everything they dealt with, we deal with. Economies, and uh, of course, they specifically dealt with a famine, but we, uh, we also deal with shortages in, in areas like that. I mean, remember a year ago trying to buy toilet paper? I mean, there was a shortage there. We really have went through the mill on some of that stuff, so... As a love story, it has no equals. Uh, Ruth has been called the Cinderella of the Scriptures. And uh, it is a wonderful story about romance and marriage and the principles, the moral principles attached to that as you go throughout the book of Ruth. As a historical book, uh, you see the customs and uh, of, of welfare, business, government, marriage, traditions, all those things reflected in this book. So it's a tremendous wealth of information there. And as a spiritual story... Uh, it, its greatest uh, attribute is it represents redemption. And uh, we're going to look at that as we go throughout this book. But ruin is what led Ruth uh, to, be a part, to become a part of a Jewish family. Ruth did not live in Bethlehem, Judah. She lived in Moab. She was a Moabitess. And uh, eventually, uh, as we'll see at the end of the book, uh, she became the ancestress of Christ because of how the Lord worked this out. Uh, God brought life to where death had reigned, and we see that wonderful breaking out of this book, uh, of that fact in this book of Ruth. He, it's a good picture of salvation, how sin brings ruin, and a redeemer uh, brings, he's, he's the great rescuer of the ruined, and as we see that in the picture of Boaz. But uh, last week we talked about the period of the famine. It was when the judges ruled, so it's sometime in that 450-year period, uh, we don't know exactly when it fell, but somewhere in that period, uh, the book of Judges covers that period, and this is, uh, this is when we find this family. Uh, the defilement, we see that it was a time of moral and spiritual degradation. Uh, there were some great men during this time of the Judges, but most of them uh, were not great, and the people were not great. The people did what was right in their own eyes, the Bible says in Judges several times. Uh, it was not right in God's eyes, but it was right in their own eyes. It's a problem that we still have in America today and in the world that people do what is right in their own thinking. And they, they, you ask them and they say they're good people, even though they're not living righteous and moral lives, but they think they're doing all right. And it's a reminder to us that in the book of Judges, every man did what was right in their own eyes, the Bible says, but the Lord, six times in the book of Judges said they did evil. They did exceeding evil three times. So God judges us by his standard, not by our standard. It's a good thing for us to remember. 
But here the Bible says a certain man went to sojourn in the city, uh, in the country of Moab. It was a mistake. Make no mistake, it was a mistake for Elimelech to take his family to Moab. A famine of food for the soul is more serious than a famine of food for the uh, body. And so they suffered both uh, because of their uh, leaving uh, God's country here. The disobedience, uh, the, the, we see that in the fact that the Israelites have been told by God uh, not to go among the heathens. Joshua warned, in Israel, warned Israel in chapter 23, verse 7 of Joshua, Come not among these nations, these that remain among you. And so there was disobedience here. There was also distrust in the move. There was distrust in God, a lack of faith in God. There was an urgency in the move. The Bible says in verse 21 that they went out full. It only emphasizes the weakness of Elimelech's faith. They moved before they had to move. Uh, is uh, in, in the, this time of Bethlehem. By the way, even if they would have lost, it's better to live in Bethlehem in a time of famine than to live in Moab in a time of plenty. You say, really? Well, we'll see that almost right away here. Uh, the, that, that's where we ended last week, so we start now looking at the defi. We talked about the distrust in the move, the urgency in the move, and uh, then also uh, the disobedience. We're going to look now at the defiled. In the move, he and his wife and his two sons all went to Moab. When you backslide, you do not backslide alone. Somebody is watching you. Somebody is impacted by you. When you sin, you cause others to sin. Uh, so it was with Elimelech. When he failed, uh, his entire family failed along with him under his leadership. Now you say, well, uh, I'm not in leadership over anybody. Well, it doesn't matter. Every one of us impacts someone. We all touch someone. We can help someone to do right, or we can help someone to do wrong. And when we disobey God, more than likely we're going to affect others to do the same. Backsliders always take others with them. It's an interesting fact. It's a heartbreaking fact that you've, I've seen in churches. Folks are quicker to follow a backslider than they are to follow somebody doing right often. And that's a sad thing. So it's, a, it's imperative that we live our life understanding that folks are watching. Then we see next the distance in the move. Moab was not very far from Bethlehem. It was just across the Jordan and the Dead Sea. To get to Moab from Bethlehem, you only had to travel about 20 to 30 miles. This was not a long trip like Abraham took to Egypt years before uh, in a time of famine. But it is a reminder of how sin operates. Uh, sin at first doesn't get you to deviate far from where you're at. It just sometimes gets you to change a little in your life. Just come a little bit away from where you're supposed to be. And pretty soon you're way off the path that God wants you on. Now, Elimelech had several deterrents to his move as well. Uh, Genesis chapter 12 uh, gives the warning of Abraham. Abraham left Canaan to go to Egypt during a time of famine. <coughs> no, we're not going to go into it now, but he paid a terrible price for that. In Egypt, he picked up Remember who he picked up in Egypt? A little lady called Hagar, who later would father illegitimately uh, Ishmael, who later would become the father of a people who later would take down our towers in New York City. So, you know, it's all connected uh, throughout. You have, the, you have a light, the, the, till the end of time, these two nations are going to battle. Islam and Israelites are never going to get along because they are the two branches of Abraham's seed, and the Bible, the Bible warns of that. And so it is a terrible price Abraham paid for his choices. Now, the warning from Abraham should have been a deterrent 
for Elimelech. Should have learned that lesson. All of Israel should have learned that lesson. But he ignored the warning. Not only did he have a warning from Abraham, he had the wealth of Boaz. Uh, Elimelech, the Bible says, had a kinsman, a mighty man of wealth. His name was Boaz. That's chapter 2, verse 1. Now, Elimelech, I don't believe, had to go to Moab for help. He had a, a wealthy relative in Boaz. Now, Boaz later uh, demonstrates that he's the type of man who's eagerly wanting to help people. He helped a Moabitess when he didn't need to. He was a kind man, and he was a helpful man, and so he could have went to him. Uh, this was a deterrent to going to Moab, but, uh, Moab, but uh, Elimelech ignored it. It's the same thing that people today do all the time, resort to the world when they have other options. The world is a very attractive place to go to for help. Uh, it's an easy place to go to. One of the reasons is because the world is like, you could say it's like a credit card. You, uh, you play now, you pay later. You get what you want now, and the bill comes much later in the mail. You don't have to worry about the bill now. You just do what you want now. And, and uh, that's, that's the attractiveness of the world. See, the world's rewards are immediate, consequences long-term. The rewards for serving God are not always immediate, but they are very long-term. And uh, that's, of course, what Abraham had his eye on in uh, Hebrews chapter 11. The dangers in the move. Moab, moving to Moab was dangerous. It was dangerous physically. And spiritually, Moab was the result of Lot. Remember Lot and his incestuous relationship with his daughters uh, after they fled Sodom? Uh, Genesis chapter 19, one of those outcomes became the people of Moab. They were not friendly toward godliness. They certainly weren't friendly to Israel. When Israel was crossing into, uh, traveling to the land of Canaan, Moab refused to let them cross their land, Judges chapter 11. They hired the prophet Balaam later to come curse Israel. Remember that story? Uh, Balaam and his donkey. And so uh, they wanted to come and they tried to hire him to come and curse Israel. Moab was not friendly towards Israel. Uh, after that, the Moabite women, under the, under the suggestion of Balaam, when uh, God would not let Balaam curse the people as uh, the king wanted him to, uh, he said, well, just mix God's people with the world's people. Just bring the world's people in and just start intermingling them, and they'll take them down. And so they did. Moabite women seduced many Israelite men, corrupting their morals and their worship. The result was 24,000 dead Israelites because of God's judgment. This is who the Moabites were. It was a dangerous thing for Elimelech to <coughs> start to intermingle with them. The Moabites were idolaters. Uh, fraternizing with the Moabites was not going to help the faith of Elimelech. Uh, number eight, the duration of the move. Look what the Bible says in verse two. Uh, actually, verse four. They took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth, and they dwelled there. <coughs> excuse me, about ten years. The stay in Moab was not weeks, not months. It lasted ten years. What a tragedy! to be out of the will of God, away from where God wants you for 10 years. Of course, many people are longer than that in their life, but that's a terrible thing. The cost of this is very great, as we'll see as people start dying. Uh, sin lures people into thinking that it'll only be for a short time, and then it'll end up being a long time. You 
heard the old phrase that's so true, sin will uh, take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay every single time. It lasted even when the losses <coughs> became great. Elimelech died. They still didn't return to Bethlehem. They stayed on until the death, uh, until death took the sons as well. Sin blinds your eyes into just continuing sinning despite the cost. And that's what happened here. Uh, don't, the, the best thing we can do is not allow ourselves to ever be taken in by it in the first place. Not ever to uh, fall for the lies of the, the devil and the world. So it was a long time they were there. Uh, there was a failure here in, their, in, in marriage as well. Verse, uh, verse number four, these boys took wives of the women of Moab. Uh, this was forbidden uh, by God, like the move to Moab was. The marriage to Moabites was also wrong. We see this, <coughs> excuse me, we see direct commands against marrying Moabite women seen in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. Both, uh, both of those, uh, those prophets in that time, they faced times of intermarriage of God's people with the world including the Moabites, Ezra chapter 9, Nehemiah chapter 13, both of them uh, talk about this, and both condemn these marriages very strongly. and say that doesn't seem very fair to the Moabite women. Well, you're not talking about God's people here. And there's still an admonition in the Bible now against God's people marrying unsaved people. Uh, we're not to be intermarried uh, to unsaved people. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Uh, and, and yet many believers ignore that verse, ignore those, that principle, if the principle's much bigger in the Bible than just one verse, but they ignore that uh, to their own detriment and often suffer tragic consequences. I can't tell you how many couples I've, and I'm sure Pastor Forsberg uh, has probably had as many or, <coughs> or more than I have that we've counseled because of this problem right here. Uh, don't Believers ought not marry unbelievers and yoke up in that way. Uh, it's, it's just a, it's a recipe for trouble. And God knows what God's saying when he says these things, and so we ought to obey him in it. There is a... Yeah, good. Okay, all of this is a good example. The fact that once you start sinning, you'll keep on doing so. So when Elimelech failed to separate from the world... He joined hands with the world. Then it caused his family to do so too. And if you don't... And Elimelech really is the one who is most at fault here. He's the one who made the decision to do what they did. He's the one that was the leader in his family. By the way, God does hold uh, the man, the leader of the family, as uh, going to be, hold him responsible more than any of them. But when he failed, uh, it caused failure in his family. And if you don't stop the sin... And the way he did not, it will grow into an uncontrollable beast that you cannot get a handle on. When you fail to separate from the world, you're going to become more and more entangled with the world. Can I remind you of, of Lot? First, Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom. It was way off. He wasn't part of Sodom, but he, he sat out there drinking his coffee and looking at Sodom and just kind of longing because the next thing you see, he's in Sodom. Not only is he in Sodom, he's uh, sitting at the gate, which means he's a city councilman or something like that. Uh, he's, he's actually in the leadership. He's a part of them. 
And that's how sin works. First, you're, it worked that way with Achan. First he saw, then he coveted, then he took, then he hid. That's the process of sin. And when we start to look and we start to long after the wrong things, it's just a matter of time before it starts to get a hold of us. Oh, listen, don't, don't, uh, don't poo-poo this idea of separation. Separation is almost a bad word in our Christian circles today. But the fact that separation seems to be mocked uh, and eschewed in our Christian circles today, uh, it causes many young people much sorrow. Separation is, by the way, not only a negative thing, separation is a positive thing. Paul said he was separated unto the gospel. And separation is something that we, you know, you, you just say the word and you can see it. About a year ago, I preached on separation once here. You can almost see the inward groans of people when they hear, when I hear a message on separation. We can't do this, we can't do this. That's not what it's about. Separation isn't just a negative. Separation is a positive. We use marriage as an example. When I got married, it was not for the purpose, the express purpose of separating myself from six billion disappointed women. Okay? Uh, it was, the purpose wasn't to separate from. The purpose was to separate to one. See the difference? I wasn't thinking about those that all the ones I'm separating from. I, I was just worried I'm separating myself to one. Okay? And when we, when we look at separation, let's stop focusing on all the, the, oh, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't do this, I can't do that. Uh, all this is being taken away from me. That's not, if we focus our separation on two, that makes all the difference. And this is what, see, Elimelech, that was his problem. He should have kept God as his focus, Christ as his focus, not uh, trying to fix his own problems by using the world as a help. We see fruitlessness in these marriages. No children were born. The marriages of both Malon and Chilion produced no fruit, verse 5. When we disobey God, when we walk after the flesh, we will not have good fruit <coughs> in our lives. Uniting with the world will make us sterile for spiritual fruit. We're not going to bear fruit when we're living worldly, when we're living intermingled with the world, when we won't separate uh, from these things. Now, it's not going to make us popular with the world, uh, but it will help us produce good fruit if we keep these things in sight. Now, looking at verse <coughs> number 3. Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. She was left and her two sons. And then it says, Malan died also. Uh, where are we at there? Verse 5. And Chilean died also, both of them. Here's what's interesting. Why did they leave Israel? Why did they leave Bethlehem, Judah? Because there was a famine. They could die. Let's go to the world. Let's go here where there's no, there's no famine here. They've got food. Hy-Vee is stocked over there in Moab. So we're going to go over to Moab. What happened to them? They died anyway. The world's not going to solve your problems, ever. It's just not going to do it. You can't, the very thing that they went to avoid, that's what happened to them. They all died. The men did. All of them died. And it just, and all within a 10-year period. That's how long they were there, 10 years. So they're all there, uh, really for a relatively short time, to escape death, and then they died. When we forsake God's will and God's way for our lives, to save something, we're going to end up losing. I think the greatest verse in the New Testament to picture this right here 
is Matthew 16, 25. He that findeth his life shall lose it, but he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Now, you listen to that. That's a backwards thinking. That's what Jesus is saying. You try to do everything you can <coughs> to give yourself fulfillment, to try to, uh, to try to gain all the things, happiness and fulfillment and money and things and material possession, try to gain it together, all those things, and you're going to end up being miserable anyway. The preacher said something last night I thought was so good, I wrote it down. You know who the most miserable people in the world are? If you were there, you can't answer. So I know he was there. You know who the most miserable people in the world are? Those that are trying to be happy. I thought, I like, kind of clicked for a second in my mind, but it's true. Look at Hollyweird, really? I mean, look at them. Uh, you know, these, these people aren't happy. There's no joy there. They're, they're miserable. They're trying to be happy, but they, they, you, can't, you can't seek after happiness and, and find it anyway. Happiness is a byproduct of doing right. And so here they did. They, they left. I just think that's the, just the most ironic verse in this book. Limelech died, and the two sons did too. This is why they left Israel in the first place, to save their life. Uh, the, wh- wh- why did they die? We asked the question, why did they die? Well, I believe the answer is found in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. Uh, the cause of these three fatalities was sin. If they'd have stayed in Israel, <coughs> would they have lived? I don't like to use hypotheticals in the Bible, so I'm not going to answer that question. But they went here and they died. The three deaths, I believe, are judgment from God, leaving Israel staying in Moab. The move to Moab looks so promising to the eyes of the flesh. Like I said, the world always looks promising to the eyes of the flesh. And sometimes it'll relieve stress for a while. Sometimes it'll, it'll calm us down for a while. But long term, it's going to be a bad move for anybody to go through the world. Sin's like that. It looks promising, but sin, can I tell you, friends, sin does not give life. Sin always takes life. Sin doesn't fill. It always empties. That's what Naomi said. I left full. I came back empty. That's what sin does every time. But Elimelech's Moab philosophy very popular among even Christians today who go to the world for their, the answer to their problems. Uh, then you see the consequences here of the fatalities. The woman, verse 5, and the women, I'm sorry, and the woman, talking about Naomi, was left of her two sons and her husband. She was the only one of this Jewish family of four who survived the stay in Moab. But in surviving, she was left desolate. In those days, this was very devastating. Today we have insurance and government programs and, and, and aid as, as we should to help those in need for that. That's a good thing. Uh, but in her day, Naomi had nothing. Uh, as a widow, as no way to support herself, she was, as she said, empty. She had nothing anymore. She had nothing in possessions. She had nothing in people. She had nothing in prospects. She had nothing. And uh, it's, it's a great picture of the desolation that comes from sin. Sin will do that to you. It will leave you a rotten, empty husk of nothingness. And all the time promising all kinds of things. But it can also bankrupt the soul, which is obviously worse than anything it can do physically. <coughs> now, there's something that came out of this, though. Verse number 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how 
that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. These fatalities started to change Naomi's thinking. Uh, Maybe, I don't know, I'm just speculating, but maybe Naomi had wanted to go back home for years. Husband said no, and when she when he passed away, the son said no. They now had their wives there and lives here in Moab. Maybe she's been wanting to go for years, and now everybody who's been resisting her return is now gone. At any rate, she comes to the end of herself here, and uh, she starts to think of going back to Bethlehem. Uh, she maybe was freed from the bad influence of her husband and her two sons. Often this happens in the lives of God's people who are walking in disobedience, that only in sorrow and tragedy can God get their attention. By the way, don't get to that point where God has to use harsh circumstances to get your attention. I've heard, I have written down somewhere, I don't remember where I read it, but that God uses three ways of getting your attention. He uses His Word. When you aren't reading that or paying attention to that, He'll use other people. And when you don't listen to them, he uses circumstances, sometimes very bad ones. And so, listen, open our ears. Let's uh, always be open to hear what God has to say. I'm not suggesting, by the way, that all sorrow and all tragedy is God's judgment. Of course, we know that's not true. Uh, talk, to, talk to Job about that. Uh, lots of bad things happen for other reasons other than disobedience, but many times it is. May we be so diligent to obey God that he does not have to send Uh, and inflict uh, on our lives pain and suffering. So uh, what we have looked at so far is bleak, (laughs) looking at the negatives. Uh, Failure, famine, fatalities, all part of the great ruin of this family. But starting uh, from here on out, light's going to start breaking through the darkness. Uh, This happens to be the decision here, verse 6, when she decides to go back to Bethlehem, this is what now brings Ruth to the forefront. We, uh, Aside from the fact that just mentioned she was married, uh, she's not yet introduced to us, but uh, starting next week as we look at Ruth, uh, this story blossoms into one of the most beautiful stories in the whole Bible. It's just a, a great uh, story and pictures, so many pictures in this book. So I, I'm, I encourage you to be back next week as we turn from ruin to resolve, as she resolves to go back to where she's supposed to be. Hey, can I tell you, friend, it's always a good thing when we recognize we're not where God wants us to be, to go right back where we're supposed to be. If you are not where God wants you, then your right place is empty. You need to get back to where God wants you to be. And uh, that's going to be what Naomi attempts to do. Now, she's got a bad attitude. She's bitter. In fact, uh, she's, she calls herself bitter. We'll see that. But her attitude will start to change as God's working in her life. So, Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for this text and this story. May we <coughs> continue as we look through it, learn from it. I pray that we might grow from it as well. And uh, that you would just uh, bless us with the examples from the Bible that you've given. We pray you bless us now this evening. Help us to go out make an impact. Those around us, we pray in Jesus' name. All right, you are dismissed. Thank you.